Okay, welcome to Open Sources here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz from Here in the Bunker. <laughs> and I have no pithy comment or anything today, Adam. I just I don't know what happened. Oh, you're just phoning it in because it's almost a long weekend, and you're just going to slack that off. That could be it. I could be in Victoria Day mode, but... I take the day, I don't really celebrate it, but... <laughs> I'll take your day off, even though I don't recognize the reason for it. Hiding from fireworks underground, much like the cannonade. Yeah. <laughs> me and the cat. Uh, that reminds me, I need to stop by... What is that What, what is that trailer that they park at Willow West Mall? That's, it's super sketchy, they sell fireworks out of oh, a trailer. Yeah. Just park yeah. at Willow West Mall. I used to shell out for a burning schoolhouse, but uh, I don't even do that anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised that hasn't been canceled. The name hasn't been canceled. It's called the Burning Outhouse now, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, okay, there we go. There we go. Uh, we're going to talk more about canceling in a second. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. Which this week will be Jamie and Kale, who are the two organizers behind the unionization of an uptown waterloo starbucks earlier this month they're going to join us to talk about how they did it and why so many service industry workers in canada and the u.s are making the move to get organized and it's music to scotty's ears so we're gonna we're gonna talk <laughs> it's a like about old it. times yeah. just like old time <laughs> which is another show on cfru uh that's at the bottom half of the hour before that we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week including the trump town hall on cnn We'll ask the only question that matters. Will they ever learn? Uh, but first, <laughs> uh, you may notice Canadian Tire has been trending the last couple of days. Um, there was a gathering at an Oakville Canadian Tire on the weekend. Um, a party that was not in celebration of Justin Trudeau. Uh, quite the opposite. It's a word we can't use on community radio. Um <laughs> Yet. But, <laughs> yet. <laughs> uh, but it, it spurred on a lot of emotions because the uh, the gathering was, shall we say, convoy adjacent. Uh, Kareem Assad, who's one of these uh, people who, who covers these sorts of things regularly, uh, managed to find Paul Frum, uh, noted mm. white nationalist Paul Frum, at this gathering uh, in the Oakville parking lot. It shut down the Montanas. Montana closed early on a Saturday night. Uh, so that they could avoid, I guess, their maybe customers getting harassed or avoid having their staff have to serve people who um, are apparently still under the impression that they're being oppressed by COVID-19 vaccination measures that no longer exist. But yeah, it, it's it's a way to sort of get into this conversation the last couple of weeks about all these like cancel culture things, like this aggrieved minority that we see in the United States who feel utterly and completely victimized by nonsense. And uh, it is trickling up here in Canada, even if we're sort of, uh, I guess uh, our mainstream media here is kind of missing that big picture too. The, uh, it's It's been really hard to find like any kind of comprehensive coverage over um, what that gathering in Oakville was about. Um, what I guess also questions about what responsibility Canadian Tire might have had to, you know, sort of uh, put a pin in the proverbial balloon. And also how uh, th this group kind of feels empowered because now they're planning to do it all again 
in June in Cornwall at a, another another Canadian Tire parking lot. I saw, I saw that you'd mentioned that on the tip sheet there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Karima Saad has pretty much a monopoly on these things these days. She's you know well-established to going and covering the... That's how I found out that he is an actual Nazi, Paul, from... I mean, a lot of the folk there, I think, are just kind of <laughs> fash-adjacent, whether they realize it or not, and a lot of them will deny that they are. But yeah, I, I don't think they even know where it's going. It's the usual with the American flags. I saw Union Jack... Just watch the two-minute clip to get an idea of what's going on. It wasn't that busy. I used to go to that uh, Canadian Tire a lot on my way back down to the old homestead a lot of years ago, but it's it's been there for a while, just off the highway, which I guess makes it convenient. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't get the impression. It seems some folks got the impression that Canadian Tire were involved. I don't know how you would do that. I mean, mm. those, those stores are, are in a mall and they don't. I don't Canadian Tire doesn't own the mall they just they're just and it's one of those is it Rio Tinto I'm trying to think you just you you sometimes see the name of who owns the plaza it's usually a plaza not necessarily like square one level right it's but they get the blame um, because they're the anchor tenant there and probably the biggest draw yeah and the fact that their logo was appropriated for this I think there's t-shirts too that say some garbage whatever it is you know is it Canadian Tire's place to step up there was a kind of a weak tweet that was it wasn't even on its own it was just kind of in other people's comments saying yeah yeah no no we don't really endorse this uh rightly so but i I, maybe they don't want to rock the boat too too much either Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is kind of weird the change that they've they've done here i guess people weren't really paying too much attention to the protest or whatever the heck the mini convoy that was going on at queen's park for ages (laughs) <laughs> or the other remote ones maybe getting a little bit of attention from the school board meeting harassment or drag story time it's the same crew they'll all readily admit that right but mm-hmm. god they're so, they're so predictable mm-hmm. it's just so boring now like i don't I, okay you don't like trudeau we know this Mm-hmm. There, there's still the kernel or the essence of some kind of movement there but i I don't know what the goal is now. I, we've talked about this before with the lockdowns gone and then the COVID situation changed and how much attention people pay to it. Is is this a, a ploy to sort of still try and get attention for this thing that's not really a thing anymore? Oh, and the Trump flags too. That was yeah. leading into topic two. It's like, I don't think they really know where they're coming from. There's no, it's just this kind of empty thing. Thing now let's have a little let's have some fun in the canadian tire parking lot it's it's kind of sad it's i mean it's a little sad for sure i i think there, there are a couple of different things happening it's number one is like what kind of responsibility does canadian tire have and i've seen people say like i'm gonna boycott canadian tire and it's like i'm not sure that's the right tack because i i think a lot of these companies get in a position where they're kind of damned if they do damned if they don't it's like well you know they they put out a you know kind of hand slap (laughs) statement as you said um just to sort of put out the the pr fire and um you know on the other hand their branding's being used they're they're like clearly they've made the connections like well we've done it in one park canadian tire parking lot we're going to take it on the Take it on the road and do it another because clearly Canadian Tire isn't going to take any action. And you're right, a lot of these things um, are 
are confusing in terms of like different ownership things like Zares, like the Zares Plaza here on Imperial. That's not that's not owned by Loblaw. That's owned by Armel. You know, Loblaw rents right. the leases the space. So there's a lot of these tricky things. Um, I gotta wonder though if this was like uh, a black metal anarchist, you know, sort <laughs> of um, movement where we're gonna be like talking about like down with the crown, down with the pigs. Like, if would Canadian Tire be okay with that? Would they just like put out a single tweet and go like, guys, like they're not really with us? It's okay. Like, no, there. I think there would be a much sterner, more more harsher reaction. Um, the other thing too is. Like what is what what is the protest now? As as you said, and I think that what what concerns me is, and this gets into the other piece of this from last week, is just the wholesale import of just rage politics that don't mean anything. Um, I I, I was reading somebody essentially talking about like all these rage machines, like from the United States, like Mister Potato Head and Doctor Zeus. It's not really. It's not really directed at anything other than like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And when you see something that connects, you keep punching it, you keep punching it, you keep punching it until it, it sort of loses all of its proverbial punchiness. And that makes me think about all this stuff with the passport. And you made you made a joke yeah. online from when you last week about the passport, but um I mean it even got worse than that after that, because after we recorded last week's show and 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 all of that, like Pierre Polivier comes out and says, well, if I'm elected prime minister, I'm going to get rid of this passport. And it's like, why? Yeah. Um, it, It's so silly because the whole point, of, this is what gets gotten lost in the morass. They changed, they didn't change the passport because they, they wanted to change the passport. This is something you do every 10 years. And the point is to update the security of the passport. And one mm-hmm. of the security features is the, like the back images for all the passport pages. Because if you don't change them, people get better and better at counterfeiting them. <laughs> yep. So the whole point of the update is, is to protect the security of the Canadian passport. And it's become, you know, it's this stupid culture war edge, uh, culture war wedge because um Pierre needs to throw stuff at the wall to to dirty up Trudeau and it's like it's not there's, there's no shortage of stuff but it's also harder to get ginned up about you know I don't know WestJet pilots going on strike as opposed to taking away our Canadian identity yeah I mean I'm sure anyone will use the passport to go on their uh WestJet trip to Puerto Rico when the pilots aren't locked out or whatever and not complain about it right because it's mm-hmm. it's not an it's not an issue it's it's again it's another non-issue the I think the only thing that's these protests have going for them is that Polyev is tapping into that mm-hmm. demagogue style right it's mm-hmm. just this let just keep chucking it well the other day I overheard there was a little clip of him heckling I think it was Karina Gould Mm-hmm. She was talking about the fires in Alberta, and he's like, "Which your government caused, or something like that." It's like, "Are you are you kidding? Like, is it Trudeau? <laughs> is is every single damn thing down to Trudeau? It's not. Right. I mean, all, the majority of Canadians know this, and it it all it doesn't matter how you feel about Trudeau. Mm-hmm. People have issues with him. You're going to have issues with any government. People are going to have lots of issues if it's ever Polly have. <laughs> but so I, I did this. Comparison with the passports. I still have the let's call it the old Canadian, the non-updated one. I still have a European one, which needs to go British. And I did this. The European passports were miles ahead in terms of 
security because that's what it's all about. It's not what's in it. It's not like a little, I don't know, Gideon Bible style history lesson. <laughs> right. It, it really isn't. Because I hadn't, it's been, it was stamped a couple of times. I didn't really look at it. But interestingly, one of the new pages is kind of plagiarized from an old page in the European passport of what looks like a snowy owl. It's all kind of stylized stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But that's that's exactly what it's about. It's not about Vimy Ridge or Terry Fox, although it's been made about that. Like, if you don't like the aesthetics of the thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But does anybody put as much stock in, like, what their license picture or their OHIP card? or Because that's that's the same level of stuff. Everybody yeah. looks terrible in, their, in those pictures generally. I've never, you know. I have to say, I've never looked good in one. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, that's why I kept getting pulled over to port of security. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, that, the issue isn't what's in it because you ask anybody. It's the same with, I was thinking about this because there's comparisons being made to the money, which we don't see as much of now. And I, mm. who knows how long it's going to last. Uh, Vimy Ridge is also on the back of the 20. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say, I didn't know that. And I've spent a lot of $20 bills, right, in my time. Mm-hmm. But to sit and think about it for a second, it's like, is it a goose? Is it a... But again, it's getting spun as if this is like the biggest issue. This is really a non-starter. I mean, if you want if you want the history lesson, you got to get the history lesson from, you know, not your passport on the back of a $20 bill. And I heard somebody like say that. If you read that, Pierre Burton's yeah. Vimy or anything <laughs> like that, or what's that, the stone carvers, right? Listen, like that you want you want to learn about Canadian history or any history for that matter. That's where you go. It's not it's not to your legal document that's going to give you a week in Montego Bay, right? I got to tell you, nobody who's complaining about the passport has read or even heard of Pierre Burton. Um, but I, that's to, to your point. I I I was reading a piece. Somebody said that uh, I think it was in the Narwhal. Um, nobody's learning Canadian history from the pages in their passport. And also the irony too is, you know, <laughs> the people who are complaining about this wiping out of Canadian identity are also probably the same people who complain about education and elites and, and, and all this too. And on top of it all, there's to, to sort of bring it all of this sort of together is these people have to make up their mind about Justin Trudeau. Either he's a empty shell of a puppet man being controlled by the deep state and the World Economic Forum and George Soros and all this, or he's a deeply Machiavelli sort who has his tentacles in all the pies, including, like, are, are any of us under the impression that Justin Trudeau was sitting in his office and calling his, like, executive assistant says like hey bring me some of those uh updated passport designs i want to give them a once over before they're announced <laughs> yeah it was very canadian it was like a committee and it took 10 years and like that that's that's what really happened right but but <laughs> yeah. trudeau, trudeau should resign just to spite them so all of the swag becomes obsolete right they'll need to you know make up free you know well, I mean, flags or something right or whoever it's gonna be well i they're already ahead of you like there's already oh you know talk about freeland and because she's because she you know used to be a journalist so she's even like as she's as connected to the deep state if not more so <laughs> and, and and putin hates her of course so oh well if putin hates you you're probably doing something right right well it depends who you talk to uh like donald trump for example uh <laughs> one of uh refusing to condemn 
Russia's invasion of Ukraine is maybe the least of the comments that he made at a CNN town hall last week. Um, I don't know where to begin with this. Uh, I watched the whole thing to beginning to end, and uh, I was on my feet because I, I just I could not believe what I was watching. Um, it was a disaster from beginning to end. It went exact. I think um, uh, I can't remember his name, but he writes the Pointer Report newsletter. He said, like, even I thought it was going to be bad, and it was worse than my worst case scenario. <laughs> it, it it was really something to behold. Um, you know, CNN had a bun meeting on TV. Can you believe it? And they did. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. And I have to be honest, I watched the greatest hits or, or misses <laughs> or whatever it is. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't commit. I guess it wasn't a full two hours, but it was close, right? Hour, nine minutes. Yeah. Now, did they know, like, did they know there was a decision coming down in the Eugene Carroll case? Or is that, was that just coincidence? I was, I wasn't able to establish whether that was. I think it was a coincidence because. I was hearing them talk about the trial and they, they say like every, for every uh, week of the trial, you have to assume that the jury's going to deliberate for one day. So um, the trial had gone for three weeks. And so people are expecting them to deliberate for three days, but it turned out being three hours, I think. So yeah, it, I think that was a, a coincidence. And Trump, of course, speaking of demagogues managed to spin it into a joke to yeah. the, the audience were laughing at this very serious thing and all of the other stuff that came out of it. So I saw one post or story that said he's like lying right out of the gate. Yeah. It's just the usual. And I don't, I don't know if I don't think CNN thought that this was some kind of changed man who said four years in the wilderness to, to <laughs> sort his life out. It's just, it's gotten worse. He's gotten worse. Like it, every, every single thing out of him was just, it's it's typical Trump, but it, he's he's doubled down on all you know the election being rigged. I, I did see that one of the first things he said. Mm-hmm. Pence was wrong, and Pence wasn't in danger on January sixth, even though he was threatened mm-hmm. uh, constantly. You know, as you said, never met Eugene Carroll, who's convicted of assaulting. I don't know how that's going to. It's going to be appealed till he's dead, probably. And yeah, it just I if it was I don't think it was an attempt to connect. It was more like. I just get the impression this is cynical. Am I right in thinking this is like a cynical ploy on CNN's part to get to improve their ratings? Because even Trump will say, though, that was the highest rated show in years. Almost certainly. I think, um, like, there's been a lot of leaks from CNN since then about uh, the CNN boss, Chris Lick, saying, like, hey, you may love him or hate him, but you can't say we didn't make news. And a lot of people have tacked Lick for that because, like, is is it CNN's mission to make news? Or is it CNN's mission to cover the news? That's an important distinction because um, one would argue that if you're a news outlet, you're not supposed to make the news. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, uh, having Trump on on the air um, was an invitation to do all this stuff. Because you're right, uh, this is a man who has learned nothing. Um, he's 76 years old, so he's unlikely to learn anything. It came, you know, almost 24 hours after he was found guilty of sexual abuse and defaming a rape victim. Mm. And, you know, he still, you know, opens up his mouth and lets his belly rumble. It's as my father would have said, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's um, it's just incredible. All of this stuff was known. 
This wasn't like, we're going to put Trump on TV and see what happens. It was all known. It was factored into the sauce. So you, you can't really look at it and say that it was about anything other than ratings. They knew they were going to get, and they got exactly what they wanted. You know, the question is, I think, what kind of damage it does to the CNN brand, which is all, which has already been suffering because of it's been moving to the center, which essentially means moving to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how much damage it does to uh or i for for the cnn brand but also for the journalists many of whom have spoken out a lot of them off the record saying like this was disgusting we couldn't believe this was happening this is terrible we're deeply ashamed of this product yeah and i wasn't really familiar with caitlin collins i'd heard the name and i know she's some was she was cnn's uh white house correspondent for a while right mm-hmm. and she seemed like the perfect person to do it because i found out she was involved with what's that website tucker carlson's the daily caller they the daily caller yep. years ago or something so she got a start in conservative circles so it's not as if you know she should have been on point i guess to a degree i guess if you've moved to cnn i don't even your pol- do your politics move with you i'm not really <laughs> sure that's, a great, just being, you know, journalist that's a great question versus journalist versus the bias right mm-hmm. but regardless she ended up nasty in trump's eyes right which is another one of his tropes right it's just (laughs) all women are nasty including caitlin collins uh so yeah it's what what was the goal and is it 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 seems it doesn't seem right that they're kind of high he is the front runner in the republican race but you know are they going to give are they going to have a sit down with desantis as well is there any balance there or is it just like what did he say that maybe an offer I couldn't refuse a great way to put it there, Godfather or whatever. Um, but I don't, what kind of offer was Trump paid? I would imagine. So maybe, or, or well, was the offer you just get to do your shtick in front of an audience of, of you know, chosen people who will yuck it up with whatever you have to say. Well, here's the thing. It, 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 it's, it's a couple of different levels. Number one is DeSantis isn't, do going on CNN was and, and he Trump's been talking to a lot of people outside the normal conservative circles and the, the effort is to show up to Santos who's been very d- dedicated to doing only like conservative media and not doing CNN I think it was it's it's it serves as kind of a dare to DeSantis like oh can you come here and sit in here and answer questions from like a legit reporter I think that's <laughs> I think that serves more serves trump more as you know like i said like nobody was tuning in although there was one person who asked him a question that didn't vote in 2020 and i was like you didn't vote in 2020 like really like Mm. that you couldn't get off the couch and vote in 2020 but uh leaving that aside the other part of this too is um to, to your point about Caitlin Collins, yeah, and a lot of stuff came out about her in the aftermath. Like a lot of the stuff she did for the Daily Caller, where it was like she was like doing listicles, where it's like, oh, here are some Syrian refugees that are hot enough to be let into the country. And Whoa, really? yeah, Ooh. yeah, and like uh, Gitmo detainees did the ice bucket challenge first. Of course, what she's talking about is torture. They were tortured. Um, there was a clip of her going around appearing on Fox News. Um, talking about this dangerous foreigner named George Soros who's supporting Black Lives Matter. Whoa. And and yeah, so I mean, it's all this dirt. And I mean, she got what she wanted out of it. She's now going to be a primetime host. So like, congratulations, you sold your soul and you were re- rewarded. But 
I see that a lot in a lot of American mainstream media. People who go from like the the Fox Newses or the Daily Callers to CNN, and then people who do like go from CNN to like Fox News. It's like, well, which one of you is real? It's like, are you the conservative firebrand or are you like a deeply objective middle of the road journalist? I don't know. Like that that's the real thing. And it's all built on trust, right? Hmm. Walter Cronkite who everybody looks up to people knew who he was people you know understood where he was coming from but you look at somebody like Kate and Collins where is she coming from I don't know she uh, you know either she's like uh, someone who's willing to play in the realm of anti-semitism and um, disgusting you know anti-refugee rhetoric or she's a deeply serious uh, journalist who wants to get to the bottom of things and give uh, her viewers important information they need to know to make critical decisions at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. Who can say? Who can say? Yeah, because it seems kind of like the inverse now. It was like your opinions came out after you retired or left left the firm. I'm thinking particularly yeah. of Rex Murphy in the Canadian context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might yeah. be the, not the best example, but you know he was pundit around for a long time, mostly at CBC as far as I know. But I guess that the difference in Canada is when you when you switch around in the MSM, you, and it happens a lot as well, you pretty much know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. You don't have this whole background of, like you mentioned with Caitlin Collins and the others. There, there isn't this, you know, as I said, people have their opinions, but it, I don't think it bleeds in as much in Canadian and, and, and in other countries too. Not mm-hmm. all other countries, but it, it's it's noticeable up here and that if you're just switching around, mm-hmm. uh, that stuff doesn't travel with you. But yeah. I'm yeah. not even sure. I don't know what Cronkite's opinion was. Or and that, that was the point, right? It's supposed to be a <laughs> yeah. bit more neutral rather than you were taking a side. But. Well, I mean, he, he famously, when Saigon fell, he said, you know, we've reached the end of the tunnel and we found there's no light there. So, you know, it's, it's a little like wink and the nod that, you know, he 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 knows what you're thinking about the end of Vietnam. And he, he's because he's thinking the same thing. So, um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. It It's. With far more subtlety, though, than would happen sure. now. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> Cronkite looks like a ceramic vase next to Donald Trump. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll have to leave that there. I'm sure yeah, Donald Trump... That, yeah. that is the news. I'm sure Donald Trump will come up in conversation again because uh, <laughs> he just won't go away. Um, we're going to come back after the break, though, with two, peop- two young people we hope will stick around as uh, labor organizers. They did the impossible... They unionized a Waterloo Starbucks. We're going to talk to Jamie and Kale after the break. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Sacred lands where the monument stands with the thousands who died in victory. Fire. Little history lesson there from an artist called Michael J. Moore. No relation, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> the album's called In Remembrance, and the song, as you heard, was called Vimy Ridge. Mm hmm. Completely historic, 
complete historic accuracy in there. Told the mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. And Vimy Ridge was hell. Sure, yeah. No, but you won't learn that in your passport, either now or in the future. <laughs> Although you, you do learn how lovely the monument is there. So it, it is it is a nice monument. But yeah, it. Uh, if you want to learn about World War One history, here, local plug. You want to learn about World War One history? Go down to McCray House. Hmm. They've got Absolutely. a lot of great artifacts. A lot of uh, the staff there have a lot of great stories, and uh, it, it is a very informative place um, locally to learn that history. So, yeah, don't look at your passport. Just uh, go down to Water Street and visit John McCray House. No passport required. No passport required. Um, no passport required to go to Waterloo and check out Starbucks in the Uptown area, but uh, they are unionized. So they, you may notice uh, a certain, a certain sheen in uh, <laughs> how they're working up there in, at the Starbucks Waterloo. Uh, we talked to two of the organizers. Uh, their names are Jamie and Kale. They are just going by their first names because they are uh, coming out. A they're peeking out into the light. Uh, as if you, if you follow sort of the labor movement, you know that Starbucks, like a lot of uh, companies, are particularly hostile to the idea of their stores unionizing but we thought it kind of a local story here's two young people who did it they got their fellow workers unionized under the united steel workers at this starbucks uh we think it's a feel-good story and we want you to feel good so uh we talked to jamie and kale about how they did it and we're gonna press play on that interview starting right now Okay, so I'm now being joined by the two people who helped organize uh, the Starbucks workers in Waterloo to unionize. So first, let me introduce Kale. Hello, Kale. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. And then, uh, second of all, there's Jamie. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank good. you for having me and Kale. <laughs> You're very welcome. So first, um, maybe we can each have you talk a bit about... Um, you know, working at Starbucks and uh, we can start with, uh, you know, how long you've worked there. And, and also, can you talk a bit about what that kind of like a day in the life of, of a Starbucks worker looks like? Because I feel like, and I was thinking about this today, as a Starbucks customer, I go in, I ask for my coffee, I see you guys run around and make it, I get my coffee and then I, I either go to a table or I <laughs> go to the patio or I <laughs> go on my way. So, Kale, let's start with you. How long have you been working at Starbucks and what's a, what's a day in the life like for you? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been working for about four years now. Um, and I think the one thing that might be different from, like, from a customer perspective versus a, a barista perspective is sort of like very flexible sort of thing. Like each day I'll be working a lot of different like roles. So each day is different from every other day, basically. So you got to be able to like adjust quickly on the fly and uh, kind of do different things, not just making drinks, but also things that you don't think about, like taking out the garbage or cleaning and all these things. Right, right, right. Jamie, uh, how long have you been with uh, Starbucks? And, and what, what, is, what do you feel like a day in the life is like for you? I've been with Starbucks for five and a half years <clears throat> and to mirror Kale's sentiment, um, I would say, yeah, like in, in our perspective as like a barista, um, there, there's a lot of like finer parts moving behind the scenes that the customers don't get to see. Um, so yeah, that flexibility piece of being able to be, um, like taking the orders from 
to making the orders to now we have launched two delivery systems, being able to package those in a timely manner. Um, we also deal with like, like in a store level, the cleanliness and operations standards as well. So we're the ones like doing deep cleaning daily, the bathrooms, as Kale said, the garbage, um, stuff like that. So yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of moving parts. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, Jamie, uh, I'll I'll throw this one to you first since you're on my screen right now. Um, what made you decide that you are, or, or what made you decide? I guess first of all, as a Starbucks employee, why you wanted to unionize, and and how did you end up being one of the one of the organizers that uh, got you and your your fellow uh, Starbucks workers unionized? It kind of started just with like um, a couple of us. Um, like over a year ago, um, where it kind of sort of was like a little bit of a joke in the beginning. <laughs> um, <laughs> like all great ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a bit of a joke in the beginning. And uh, we'd kind of seen like the momentum that the states were gaining with sort of like their successes down there. Um, and sort of like just through talking together, we just kind of realized that like, hey, this, we could actually pursue this this could actually be a thing um yeah and uh kind of like some of the driving forces uh that came up for myself and like for others is uh sort of just like more consistency with like labor uh being allotted to the store um so we can better support our floor for like rushes for example when there are tons of people that come in at once um and also just kind of like more I guess like accountability from the company, like on a corporate mm. level as well. Um, just sort of rounding back to the Uber thing I was saying, um, like that's brought in a lot of, it's been very successful for us. It's brought in a lot of business. So um, in order to have like adequate labor to support that new sort of channel. Um, yeah, that's kind of some of the main ones. Mm -hmm. And Kale, how did you get involved? Yeah. Well, like similar reasons to what Jamie said, but for me, this job it's been hard at times, definitely, but what's kept me here for four years is like the people I work with. So the idea of being able to protect everybody or improve everybody's uh, work day through a union has always appealed to me. But then it wasn't until I kind of saw things happen in the US uh, at different stores that I realized it was actually possible. Mm -hmm. So like once we saw those, Jamie and I started talking, a few other people, and it, it went from being like kind of a vague idea to a a real reality uh, and since then it's just been kind of moving forward all the time okay then let's talk about the the logistics then when you're it, it goes from something you guys are talking about to you deciding that it's going to be something you're going to do so where do you start how do you start organizing a labor union and kale i'll start with you that's that's the tricky part um <laughs> it's uh <laughs> It starts with being extremely mindful, I would say, as uh, uh, the company we work for has been shown to have a dislike, we might say, uh, mm -hmm. for organization efforts. So right. it starts with uh, just talking to the people who it's, it's really about feeling. So you have to find the people who you really think might be for it and also wouldn't uh, be against it and want right. to tell everybody about it so right it started with like just feelings of feeling people out having the conversations in a casual way 
when we have the chance and like just spreading the word, but also keeping the word close, you know? Right, right, right. Jamie, that sounds particularly complicated given, you know, what Cahill said that, you know, it, it's, it's about the people you work with. Right. And, and you like the people you work with. Um, but, you know, union is sometimes a dirty word, even if people don't fully understand what that entails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of like what Kayla was saying to like being mindful of who we're approaching at first, uh, because there are a lot of misconceptions about union. And as you said, yeah, like some people definitely are like, no, I don't know anything about that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, it's kind of about approaching people on just like a human level, I find, and just letting them know, like, this is the information that I have that I can pass forward to you of like my research and please feel free to do your own. And like, I definitely wasn't like our organizing effort took like a year, if not maybe a little longer because I found myself like not to be particularly aggressive. I just really didn't want to pressure anybody to think that I was like trying to coerce them into like this idea or like sell them on something. You know what I mean? I, I wanted them to come to the conclusion that for themselves that this was something that they would want as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well then can I ask uh, how the other examples that you talked about, other examples in the United States. And and of course there are other, um, I almost said Walmart for some reason, same, (laughs) but the other Starbucks in Canada, there are, there are Starbucks in BC and Alberta who have unionized. Um, did you take any sort of inspiration from them as, as you started your efforts? Uh, sorry, that was to Jamie to start. Um, yeah, like it was definitely inspiring when BC um, first organized and then it kind of trickled into Alberta. It became a little more self-actualized like where we were like, you know what, we can actually do this. Um, if they're doing it out there, like it's spreading in Canada now. Um, and also with your, your 14 slip, yeah, Walmart should unionize too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And Kale, um, can you lend some insight in terms of uh, how you guys ended up organizing under the United Steelworkers Union? Yeah, so that's a, a bit of a confusing situation. We originally intended to work with uh, the union representing the United States Starbucks, which is uh, Workers United. Mm-hmm. We spent about a year in discussion with them. They helped us kind of get through the organizing effort, and they were great. Uh, but then at the at the end of the day, we realized that the United States workers had sort of uh, like administration over Canadian Starbucks, or they claimed. So uh. we had to, because they had previously done stores in BC and Alberta. So we had to switch to them, but that's still great for us. We They had experience with Starbucks and they were willing to work with us right away, get mm-hmm. stuff going. So at the end of the day, uh, Steelworkers or Workers United, it's the same for us. And we're happy to just work with any organizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie, it may be oddly uh, metaphorical to have uh, representation from the Steelworkers. You probably needed nerves of steel given that... Uh, Walmart, as as we we've previously indicated, I did it again. Starbucks, <laughs> as we previously indicated. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why I'm thinking about Walmart today, but that's okay. But Starbucks, as we previously indicated, uh, is not, uh, shall we say, union friendly. So, what happens when uh, 
I because there there is a point in time you have to let the the head office know we're organizing. Um, what were your concerns going into that? Um, it was definitely really nerve wracking. <laughs> um, I know then the states like their their labor laws are a lot different in the states. Like specifically, a lot of states down there are at will states. We don't have laws like that. Um, so I just had to remind myself that it wasn't like everybody's just going to get fired left, right and center for no reason. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, we kind of anticipated more presence, like corporate presence in our store. Um, and, and we certainly got that. We had people, uh, like experts deemed, um, from our like partner, uh, to preface partners are, uh, Starbucks employees. Mm. So we had experts from the partner relations, um, sector of our, our corporate come down to sort of like talk to us if we wanted to and to offer like information but it 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 was really muddled and confusing and like both sides really weren't on the same page and some things were said that were like not necessarily like forthcoming um, a lot of backpedaling <laughs> um, it, it definitely scared some people um, and stirred up a lot of uncertainty which i kind of also think is like kind of like a little bit of the idea <laughs> that they wanted mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. um yeah and just like a general sense of feeling watched uh which made myself and a lot of others feel uneasy um but honestly we just really stuck together um we all were able to like support one another and uh be in contact with our union and they were able to supply like relevant information uh, and then shared that amongst the partners. And yeah, we, we stuck together and then it, it worked in our favor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Kale, how did you feel sort of working with, um, you know, the, the people who are running your store that, you know, may, may, you know, may have felt maybe trapped in the middle. They're the ones who answer to, you know, the corporate office. They're the ones, but, but, you know, they're, they're, there every day with you guys who are doing the organizing effort um you know how was how was the the, the management uh relationship during this process that that is a tough one um yeah they it's hard uh it's definitely a situation that i can see both sides of and i i, I feel bad uh emotions are definitely running high um it's tough to be in that situation for sure but the reality, I think, is we, due to the nature of the company we work for's response, mm. um, we're not really able to have dialogues with the middle sort of level there. Right. As much as we'd like to on a personal level, it's right. There's a sort of barrier being put in by corporate with their their experts, as Jamie mentioned, and people coming into the store. Um, right. But it's definitely it's a difficult situation, and uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes. Feelings get hurt and things happen that way. Right. And Jamie, how about things now that, you know, the store is unionized? Uh, it, it, it's, I mean, there is always a, a struggle and, and there will be friction between, you know, the workers and the management at, at some point. But just, you know, now that all that hard work is, is over, um, what's life like at Starbucks these days? Now that the dust is kind of settling, like today, we actually did receive our certification. So officially after today, everything like the ball's going to get rolling much faster. Um, but yeah, definitely now that the dust is settling, um, things kind of seem to be 
going a little bit more back to normal and people are definitely accepting it now um, and realizing that this is, you know, majority of staff at our store want this. Um, and yeah, um, I think our managers like as well, they're, they're warming up to the idea. Um, we can talk a little bit more freely now that everything mm. is sort of like going through. So it's nice to be able to like connect again on that level because the last thing that like I want and I think for most people, like I, I know I don't necessarily want to divide like us versus them kind of thing. Like I still, I appreciate like our one-on-one -on -one relationship with our management um, because, you know, they, they know our situations well, and it's just nice to get along with your, your partners, regardless of their, their title. Um, so yeah, the last thing I wanted was to cause a divide. And I feel like now it's, it's kind of closing the gap a little bit more. We, everybody just needed a little bit of time. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Kale, any response from some of the customers you serve, uh, any solidarity there? <laughs> yeah, it's actually been a surprise. Um, there's been quite a bit of congratulations, just people giving their their regards. Um, when looking on an online setting, um, I would say the responses <laughs> are a little bit different. Um, but luckily, none of those those online uh, uh, haters, if you will, they they I haven't seen a single one actually come into the store. So right. the in person at work, it's been a very positive response. Everybody is congratulatory. And Jamie, from the corporate side, uh, you mentioned, I won't call them union busters, but that's kind of the, the feeling one gets. At the, at the very least, they're the muddy the water. Um, how do you think, you know, given that, the, as we've been saying, the dust has settled at the store, um, is the dust settling from your point of view with, you know, is I, I guess are are the union busting efforts at your store kind of over now? Is so you can focus on just the the everyday labor issues. Yeah, it appears to be um, at our store. Um, I know that behind the scenes they have to do a lot of meetings with each other, the union and like our district manager and things, just to sort of get things like all on the same page. Um, so there's like stuff going on behind the scene, but in terms of feeling like watched or any sort of like fears of like punitive action like i don't necessarily feel like that anymore mm. um i know for a while though that <clears throat> during our like voting process and waiting for certification there were other upper management people at other stores in our district kind of doing the same thing like wanting to talk to these stores um they weren't stores that necessarily wanted to unionize that we heard of i think they were just sort of um, that's like their contingency plan of you right. know, going in and <laughs> hoping that they get their word in first so uh, others don't get uh, the idea to do what we did. Right. Um, I think other stores, I think the managers have laid off at other stores as well for the time being. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure about that. But for our perspective, I think it's going back to normal now. Good, good, good. <laughs> I want to address that Um Part of it, though, I, I think from both sides, um, for Starbucks itself, there's the concern that unionization is catching. Um, but I think probably from the union side, they also want unionization to catch. So it, I'll start with you, Kale. Is, is that uh, something you're kind of hoping comes out of this example that, you know, maybe other Starbucks workers and at other Starbucks locations find the the temerity in themselves to unionize using your example? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we were working at the beginning with the Workers United, they made a big point about this being sort of a movement more than just each of our stores. Um, and I would have to agree with that. I, I hope personally that uh, this spreads to more Starbucks and not just Starbucks, just to the, a bigger labor movement in general. Um, employees at non-traditional organized jobs, like right. uh, finding the courage to do this and try and improve their situations because it feels like that's the only way things will improve is from the bottom up. Right, right, right. And Jamie, do you feel the same? I, I do feel the same. Yeah. I really hope that like, um, despite the like corporate's best efforts that they can see that us here in uh, Waterloo, Ontario, we like prevailed against the odds and that is hopefully inspiring to others who are thinking about organizing or, you know, not entirely sure where to start. So. Right. <laughs> I want to throw this out to the two of you. Um, you're, obviously way too young to remember the 1980s but there was that that feeling in that in in at that time with the rise of neoconservatism that you know unions were over it was the era of business and if you weren't an appendage of business uh then you know you you were you know out i i guess essentially but there has been this movement in the last few years about going back to organized labor and it has been sort of youth driven um so i mean talk about and I'll start with you, Jamie, just talk a bit about your feelings about the value of organized labor and why this is like personally so important to you and, and important to people of, of your generation. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I do have a lot of feelings about this. Um, I think that like corporate America um, has sort of been running the show for lack of a better term for so long um, we see costs of inflation going up and wages are stagnant and it's just, it's basically impossible for like us, like Gen Z millennials to get ahead at all. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric that goes around too, probably from, I guess the eighties, what you were saying of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work really hard and you'll get there. But like, that's just not <laughs> the dream that just can't happen anymore. It's impossible. There's so many right. variables and factors going on and like our, our economy right now that it's just impossible for regular people like like me and kale <laughs> and for majority <laughs> of canadians um even abroad too that like i think the the power that people have collectively of like amplifying our voices through union that have um resources that we don't have access to uh makes these corporations stop for a second and think uh, that you know we are more than just a number and we're more than just sort of like generating profits for shareholders kind of thing and uh to kind of take our demands a little bit more seriously uh, mm. we're we're not being unrealistic you know we want security um we want stability we want accountability like i don't think those are a lot to ask for um so yeah it's just i really hope that others kind of take um take inspiration from our lead and speak up as well, because it's, it's great that our store is like, you know, the first one in Ontario, but I, I really hope more stores follow our lead. I hope that other corporate stores follow our lead, like Walmart, for example, any, anybody, I just, yeah, I think it's about time for uh, us regular people to like reclaim that power or at least some of it. Kale, anything to add? Yeah, just those are great comments uh, on a wide scale, just to bring it to like a Starbucks sort of level, I guess. <laughs> I just want to say like it 
I think the Starbucks campaign a lot of the time makes us seem like we're anti-Starbucks right? Uh, by doing this. But in reality, I mean, this company has done a lot for me. I And I've spent a good chunk of my life. I've basically grown up working at Starbucks. Um, and even if like uh, issues aside in the workplace, even with the best employer out there, I think it's still there's value in being able to negotiate for yourself, have representation and have an equal seat with your employer, even if they're a great employer. Right. which Starbucks a lot of time is a great employer. We just want to hold them accountable to live up to the values that they speak for. Right. You're not organizing because you hate the place. You're organizing because you love it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe for a last word, and I'll start with you, Kale, since you're on my screen, just, you know, if there's any, anyone, I guess, I was going to say young person, but it doesn't have to be a young person, but anyone who's like feeling that they want to organize and they want to stand up for their labor rights and and they're unsure how to begin what's kind of like your best piece of advice yeah well i mean i think the best thing to start with is just just talk to people you work with um it all starts from the bottom up just having conversations and realizing that it's scary and it can definitely be inconveniencing but uh in our we have very strong laws in this country that support this unionization Regardless of how the public sentiment it is, our laws haven't changed. They're still quite strong. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the worst that can happen is you you fail. Uh, <laughs> the best that can happen is you you change your workplace entirely. So, <laughs> and Jamie, you get the last word. I agree with everything. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more to add than yeah that. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, <laughs> ditto is a perfectly acceptable word <laughs> at, at our city council all the time. But uh, Jamie and Kale, thank you so much for uh, coming on our show and talking about uh, organizing. And uh, congratulations on getting it done. I think uh, a lot of people are looking at you guys as positive examples of uh, fighting up for uh, labor rights right now. So uh, thanks again for coming on and best of luck uh, going forward. Thank you for having us. Thank you great. so much for having us. Okay, so once again, that was Jamie and Kale. Uh, if you go to Uptown Waterloo Starbucks this weekend, tell them Open Sources sent you. And uh, <laughs> no discount. Though. There's no discount. No, there's no discount. Just you know, I'm sure they'll they'll they'd like to hear that they they were heard on the radio and that uh, fellow labor supporters um, want to show like yeah, show them some solidarity. I think they'd appreciate it. That idea is spreading. I think we're going to see more of that for sure. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. It it can be done. Um, unfortunately, that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us on our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore, underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to our show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz at Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon. And if you're joining us at our regular time on the FM, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Yes, indeed. That is.
one of the many great programs here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. If you are marking Victoria Day this weekend, um, however you want to mark it, have a good one, stay safe, and come back and listen to us again next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.